This is a Federal News Network podcast. The now infamous Fat Leonard case stretched far and wide into the Navy contracting community and its officer ranks, and it may not be over yet. A new podcast provides new insight to the man at the center of it all by speaking to Fat Leonard directly. Everybody has their needs. And, you know, I gave them that sense of confidence, and I also provided them what they wanted. And it was safe, and they could trust me, and I never let them down. You know, I played professional, I played sexual, whatever you needed. That is Leonard Francis, the man currently facing several charges from the U.S. government. The host of the new series, Tom Wright, who's a reporter for the Wall Street Journal and co-founder of Project Brazen, recently spoke to Federal News Network's Eric White to discuss what he heard from Francis. Starting in 2015, I, I covered a story about uh, the 1MDB scandal in Malaysia, which uh, resulted in a 2018 book called Billion Dollar Whale. Um, and the fraudster at the center of that scandal is called uh, Jolo. Um, and he comes from an island in Malaysia called Penang. Um, and uh, Leonard Glenn Francis, who obviously is at the center of this new podcast, uh, Fat Leonard, also comes from Penang. Um, it's not a very big island. Um, and there was a character that I got to know writing Billion Dollar Whale, um, who'd been sort of around some of the characters in that book, who also knew Leonard Francis. And uh, we got talking and it turned out that Leonard Francis wanted to talk um, and that he had been in, in house arrest, at jail and house arrest for eight years in San Diego and was furious about the fact that he had not yet been sentenced. Um, and he was obviously the uh, star witness in the government's case um, in this huge um, Navy contracting scandal of which Leonard had pleaded guilty. But he was angry that he, for, for a number of reasons, one is he, he hadn't been sentenced. The other was that he saw, a, uh, that he believed the Navy was covering up the involvement of very senior admirals. Um, and then also he was, he was dying of cancer. Oh, he had, he had uh, late stage cancer. And so all these things coming together pushed him to, to, to rip up his plea deal and decide to talk to me. Yeah. And so what, I'm curious what those first conversations were like. Um, you know, this is a person who there's been tons of coverage. And as you said, he hasn't really been out there talking openly as as he has in, you know, in talking with you. Um, what were some of those discussions like that were on and off the record? Well, it was all on the record. Oh, um, all on the record. So that's <laughs> yeah. So that's what what's uh, so astounding about this is, you know, my 20 plus years in journalism, I never really had a situation where somebody who's yet to be sentenced as a cooperating witness in a major uh, government trial has, has decided to talk. So we sent him a, a microphone and a, and a boom arm, and he, he put that in, his, he, he sort of set that up in his house. At the beginning, he was a little guarded, you know, um, and, but to be honest, he is um, somebody who, who craves attention. And, you know, he'd spent most of his life, most of his adult life, sort of at the center of this big company, Glen Defense Marine Asia, that he'd built up, um, you know, with Navy officers at his beck and call, because obviously he he would ply them with with prostitutes and fine wine and dinners and cohiba cigars and Dom Perignon and all of this. And he was constantly in this world where, you know, he's living in a $130 million US dollar mansion in Singapore with 20 luxury cars. And he's living this sort of Wolf of Wall Street life. And then suddenly he's, you know, he's arrested in a sting uh, in 2013 for, for his involvement in all this corruption. And then he's, he's lonely and, and uh, craving that, that attention. And I think that's what I gave him. I mean, in the podcast, 
um, in, in episode one, he refers to me as his shrink because he, he wanted to, you know, he wanted someone to talk to. Yeah, that attention seeking behavior and listening to him, he sounds very jovial. Do you think that's how he was able to kind of penetrate the Navy contracting system so well is that he was, you know, he's sort of likable? Yeah, I think that's right. He's uh, he is likable. I mean, when you listen to the podcast, you're going to see that he's likable, but it's very superficial. And my relationship with him is like a roller coaster. We, you know, you're going you're to like him. You're going to see that he's he's competent. I mean, one of the reasons that he was so successful is that he's extremely competent. He he, um, you know, when Subic Bay shut down uh, in the early '90s, Leonard came along and he opened up Bali. And he was a backman for the Navy. He went in and he paid bribes in, in Bali and in Indonesia to get a pier built there and to create infrastructure for the Navy for R&R. And so, you know, he did that. Then when when the uh, Gulf War, first Gulf War happened, he was, you know, up in Penang and he was uh, became a bigger sort of husbanding agent for the ships that were coming through to the war. And then after September the 11th and the attacks on the USS Cole uh, the year before in 2000, he he started to make a lot more money because he was again very competent at meeting the U.S. Navy's requirements for protection of the fleet. So he created something that was called the Ring of Steel, which were steel barges strung together around the outsides of ships, and he would even anchor them down and, and did a much better job than and no one else was offering this kind of service. And he you know he ended up charging hundreds of thousands of dollars, up to millions of dollars for these ship visits. So he started to become become wealthy. So there's charm, there's the parties, there's the all the extracurricular stuff, but then there's also the the fact that he you know he met a need that the navy the navy for, the navy's requirement for safety and for 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 other other requirements that they had. Yeah, it sounds like there was a lot of right place, right time kind of stuff going on. Um, you discussed a little bit about how your relationship with him over the course of your conversations went sort of up and down. Um, I'm, you know, without making you give away too much, what were some of the more contentious topics that he was kind of begrudged to be speaking about with you? One of the um, startling facts of, of this podcast series is the misogyny that runs through runs through. Uh, and I hate to say this, but it runs through the Navy. It, uh, it's, Leonard has a huge problem with women. And there's some shocking, shocking facts we're going to reveal in this about the treatment, the cruel treatment of women. Um, you know, we go back to tailhook uh, in the early 90s. Obviously, you know, you know what that is, but, you know, a lot of people don't know what it is. And we look at the, the sexual assault there. And then we, then we come forward. Leonard um, grew up in a violent household. His father was abusive. His father would come home. Um, with other women, this is according to Leonard on tape. Um, he would he would beat his mother, lock his mother in a closet, and then you know have his way with 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 those women, with the children in the house. He'd beat his children. So Leonard Leonard grew up in a in an abusive household. Um, he then went on to have a very warped view of women himself. He talks you know at length about women as hookers when they're not uh, they're not even escorts or, or prostitutes. They just uh, in fact he calls the in one of our tapes, yeah, he he refers to uh, women that he's had relationships with as that. Yeah, getting away from the man at the center of all of this, uh, I imagine you had a chance to speak to many current and former Navy officials. Um, what was the sense that you got from them? Is this still something of an embarrassment that a lot of people are trying to cover up, or are they out in front of it finally? No, I don't think they're out in front of it. I think it's uh, I think it's there's been an attempt to protect their own. Um, a lot of people I spoke to in the Navy um, said that, you know, they use this phrase, uh, different spanks for different ranks. Um, clearly, you know, we, we talked to one guy, I talked to a guy um, called David Capown, 
uh, he was in one of the episodes. He just got out of jail. Uh, for, uh, he, he did an 18-month sentence. And he's furious because he's reading the, the censure letters that the admiral's got. And he's worked out, well, that's no different to what I've just been put in jail for 18 months for. Um, and he's, he's, he's planning to ask for a pardon. Um, you know, so we, we're asking the question, okay, why, why did, and then Leonard himself thinks there's been a cover-up. It's one of his reasons for talking. So he, you know, his, Leonard's putting forward this, this idea that, look, I'm the government's star witness. And I, um, I told them all these things about, you know, for example, you know, the Washington Post has covered a lot of this. Um, the admirals that allegedly took prostitutes from Leonard and, why why did the government not act on that when it acted on similar information for for lower ranked uh, officers and officials yeah not asking you to be an armchair psychologist but it seems as if aside from the money and the wealth and the the parties and all of that it, he seemed to enjoy almost having the power of having navy officials you know so-called in his pocket and also controlling where a lot of the ships of the most powerful uh you know navy in the world where they were going um, because of you know this sort of hamstring that he had on these officials um is that sort of the sense you got as well yeah he's also reliving that power um you know probably exaggerating it to a degree but yeah i mean he was able to and i, I mean this is on navy officers will corroborate what he says he was able to uh, move ships to ports that he controlled i mean that's been well reported um you know he he did that because he had the whole command and control in his pocket, right? Like in the seventh fleet from the chief of staff down to the, to the petty officers. And so, um, you know, the trials of those uh, remaining seven, uh, seventh fleet officers are still ongoing because um, seven of them have pleaded not guilty. I think a couple have changed their plea to guilty in recent weeks, um, but seven, seven of them have, are still pleading not guilty. Now I don't, I don't. I didn't talk to the lawyers or them because they weren't willing to to open up to me. But I'm imagining their argument would be, well, you know, we were part of a system where everybody knew about Leonard, um, and it wasn't just us. You know, everybody was going to parties, one thousand plate dinners, you know, dinners that cost sixty, seventy thousand, sleeping with prostitutes. Um, you know, everyone was signing off on inflated invoices. This is just how it worked. Um, so yeah, and I don't know if you're aware there was a, there's an indictment just being unsealed a couple of days ago for another contractor. Um, so oh, and, and go back to 2013, the same year Leonard was arrested. I believe Inchcape, the British company, were also suspended from doing husbanding work for the U.S. Navy. So it's pretty pretty widespread, right? Um, the problems that they have with their their contracting system. Yeah, you almost sound let down that they were actually taking the, you know, probably correct legal route and not speaking to you while they're on trial. Uh, you, you know, that, that's yeah. kind of a bummer. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, no, I mean, if you're if you're um, I guess if you're pleading not guilty, you can do what you like. Right. Yeah, um, you can you, you, you're 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 in your uh, your you have your First Amendment rights to talk to whoever you want and, and tell your side of the story. It's Leonard. I mean, it's Leonard who's breaking his plea deal to talk. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. 
Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the president and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual actual, uh, afloat commands. Uh, The first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything. And it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, And then after I retired, after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm I'm currently retired and enjoying life. And um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style? And how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, It's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin and what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I. We'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it um, from C to the C-suite. Fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, And I I tried to do that um, throughout my career. But really, it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it it was, you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Uh, Absolutely. Um, What I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? 
you have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance, in some cases, and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions, uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And, and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy and um, his, his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes, when I was at Navy Federal, I would tell sea stories uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they going to say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment, and it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book, and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan, who was the perfect, perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon. Uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, and I might add that um, any proceeds from the book, Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons in, in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing, if I could, Shane. Um, during my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, we, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is, is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And, and I can tell you from the U.S. Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler, and to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast. We'll see you next time. 
Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.